0: Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick it back up in verse 26 because we're talking about some stuff here. But we're, we're talking about uh, the beginning of all things, how it all began. And really when we look at the book of Genesis, it tells us things about who we are. It tells us how we were designed. It tells us um, what God's intent was. And so if you, if you don't just read Genesis and just say, oh, I guess that's what happened, but read it in such a way that says, okay, this is what God intended, and so how should I live as a result of that? That's what we want to look at here um, this morning as we're continuing on. Uh, last week, we talked about how we were created in the image of God. I want to pick it up basically where i started uh last no i don't want to do that that's going to be too much let's uh, go chapter 2 verse 1 and we will go from there chapter 2 verse 1 i'll reference those other verses there uh here as we go it says this actually i'll go back to verse 131 okay sorry sorry all right i'm a little sick took some some medication earlier so we'll see if i pass out here all right all right and god saw everything that he made And behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Uh, Did God do some work in creation? I don't know. Uh, We could surmise that, I suppose. But I think he wants us to know that God did some work in creation. And he wants us to know that now he's resting. Okay? New section. These words that I'm about to read here. Verse 4. Signify a new section section in Genesis. It's used several times, this uh, phrase. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth, and it goes on from there. But this is signaling a new section. We're putting it in the middle of this for a reason, but follow me here. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water uh, to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers the name of the first is the Pish, uh, Pishon it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good Bedelium and onyx stone are there the name of the second river is the Gihon it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush and the name of the third river is the Tigris which flows east of Assyria and the fourth river is the Euphrates The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now we're going to stop right there. Let me ask you something. When you think of paradise, or you think of like the greatest vacation that you could take, when you think about like what is like the the, the greatest, your, your ideal existence, what is your ideal existence? What does that look like? Think about it for a second. I'm serious. Like, what is your ideal existence? When you picture paradise, what does paradise look like? I mean, what would you be doing? What would you be spending your time with? Is it something that you are, uh, that there, there's relaxation, there's rest? There's someone giving you a back massage, and like oil and all that. That got, that got weird, but, um, uh, but there's... <laughs> I should have planned this before I talked about what other kinds of things would be happening in your paradise. Some things we don't wanna know about, some things we do, but like, I mean, like you're like eating the fruit uh, from the trees and you're whatever, I remember I was down in uh, the Florida Keys, I'm from the Florida Keys originally, but we went down there to visit because we were down there for a conference uh, in Miami for our network and and we went to this house of this guy who's like incredibly rich and, and we're like walking through his garden, which is amazing and like picking like, these fruits off of the tree like mangoes and and bananas and whatever else i don't know all the fruits that were there but it was like amazing when you think about like paradise what does paradise look like to you what would you be doing well let me tell you something and that is that our idea of what paradise is is different than god's idea of paradise and that's often the case we picture something that we think that we need and we think that we want but the whole problem in Genesis is that humanity usurps God, steps in the place of God and says, you know what, I think that things would be better if they were this way, but, that's, but God says that his plan is the ultimate plan. God says that the, the way that he intended things is different than the way that we think. The way that he intended things is really what matters in our world. And this is what actually allows us to be image bearers in the fullest sense. The fullest sense of what it means to be human is somebody who is an image bearer and takes that seriously and says, I want to bear the image of my creator, and I want to walk in the ways that he has called me to walk. And so the, the, the idyllic uh, view of what paradise is, is different than what we might think because of this. When you look at chapter two, verse one, what you see is this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work That he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So, what is this? Is God resting because he's tired? No, he's omnipotent. He's completely powerful. He doesn't get tired. God can't make a rock too big for him to move. I mean, like, God is not tired from this. This idea of rest is the cessation of creation creative activity. It is the cessation of creative activity. Now, what, what we can see here is that God is the originator of work. From the very beginning of the passage, what we see is we see that God is the one who is working. He's creating. He's making. He's, he's the one who's speaking things in, into being, and he's creating all these things with the pinnacle being uh, 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 humanity, Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation. Because as I showed you in the verse just prior to this, that, uh, in verse 31, which said that he saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And so what we see from the very beginning of, of Scripture is God working, and God working, and God working. And then it says that now here he is. He's resting. He's resting. So he's resting From his work now what does that say to us well uh, a few times or a couple of different times in scripture what you see is this is that God exerts this he communicates this to his people and so he says in Exodus chapter 20 in the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments uh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 through 11 it says remember the Sabbath to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day So what's that saying here? It's saying this, that there's a model of of rest after work. There's a model of rest after work. And that rest is put into the context of this, that our rest should be given to God in a sense that says, I want to worship this God because of this. He says in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 20, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So our rest is an opportunity to worship the creator. Our rest is to be given to him as worship. Think about this. When you think about... Uh, paradise, what does paradise look like to you? Paradise looks like, to many of us, picking fruit off a tree or the weird back rub or whatever it is that, w- that it's some uh, picture of like me just resting, and it really is all about me. What are the things that I like? What are the things that I need? But when we look at paradise and we look at the rest that is supposed to take take place, it begins with this, worshiping the God who created all things. But then there's another thing, a reiteration of the fourth commandment comes in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What's that talking about? It's saying this. It's saying not only should you remember that he's the creator, but you should also remember that he is the one who's brought you out of slavery. So our Sabbath, our rest, is not just to be about me. It is mostly to be about God. Now, think about the crazy world that we live in. Think about the craziness that's, that's going on. All of the things that we have scheduled. If you have kids and you're getting into Little League and, and all of these other functions that are going on, we're, we're crazy busy. We're incredibly busy people. And then we have all of the extracurricular activities that we are doing, the things that we watch on TV, and the ways that we, that we live Sometimes we're we're working and working and working and working and then we finally get to rest and we say, oh, finally I, I get to rest and I get to have some time to myself. But what this is saying is that this is a different kind of rest. It doesn't mean that you can't have time to yourself. What it means is that what we often forget is that our Sabbath begins with God as the focal point. To worship Him as creator, to worship Him as redeemer, And so practically what this means is this, is that we're creating spiritual space in our life to consider this God that created us, that created all things. We're creating spiritual space in our life in order for us to be able to recognize who this God is in order to recognize what he's done for us, in order to uh, remember the fact that he is the one who saved us out of slavery from sin. But that doesn't often happen. It doesn't often happen, does it? It doesn't happen because ultimately we believe that it is about us. We believe that rest is for us. But God is the one who handed it to us and it's not just for us, but it's, it's for our good, and it's for His glory. Let's keep moving here, and we'll come back to this just a little bit. He then says in verse 4, let me repeat it for you, of chapter 2 in Genesis. He says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So this is where it, where it begins. If you were here in, in week one, we were talking about how it's speaking about this God. It's, speak, it's, it's got a general name for God, which is Elohim. As this chapter begins, it begins using Yahweh Elohim. It's signified in your Bible as, uh, by saying, the Lord God. So now he's connecting the pieces and he's saying, The Creator God is this God. He is Yahweh God. See, He is God, His name is Yahweh. It is this God, and he's speaking to Israel, and he's telling them, hey, that God that saved you, the one who saved you out of the hands of the Egyptians, this is the one that we're talking about. This is the one that we're uh, communicating here. Now, some people get confused here. This is just an aside here. This seems like it's another creation story. I don't know why this is so confusing for people, but people get into this over and over again. And so they look at uh, chapter one, and then they compare that with chapter two of Genesis, and they go, this is a completely different story, but I don't believe it is a completely different story. Chapter one is basically like in a TV show, it'd be the pilot. It's laying out the plot of the whole thing. It's showing the full picture. And then here we are, we have a subset Of that big plot or that pilot show this is an individual show now we're focusing in on the man the man is in the universe and he is the pinnacle of the creation of God in chapter 1 chapter 2 talks about man and his role in this world so that's really important as we go on here it says when no bush of the field in verse 5 was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. there wasn't rain, it, there was just like this mist, and there, there was water everywhere, but it wasn't rain per se, but one of the main reasons why some things had not been created, the reason why there there wasn't any small plant of the field, and some people believe that there were plants, but there wasn't food eating plants or whatever the case may be, what it's saying here is that there's something that was not created yet because of this. There was no man to work the ground. There was no man to work the ground, and so that hadn't been created. What does this imply? That the the complement of land, the complement of God's creation is that there would be a man there, man or woman, to care for that to care for that. What this is saying is this, is that God's intention was that man would be a part of creation as a caretaker. God creates man in order to care for this great creation. Now, if you were to look at some of the old creation myths and things like that, which we don't have time to go into right now, what you'd find is that in these creation myths uh, during that era, during that time, the Enuma Elish and throughout Mesopotamia and even uh, Greek thought on, on some level later on down the line, what it talks about is this, is that these gods, they hate work. They, they don't like work. They're all saddled with work. And so what they end up doing is they end up creating this this humanity, and they say, you go ahead and do work. You're the ones that are supposed to do work. And so even in, Greek, uh, in, in in Greek thought, in many cases, what they believed was this, is that work and manual labor was beneath them. That manual labor was something that was just reserved for the lowest class people. You think about in our world today, when you think about people who are... You know, do various uh, service jobs in in the industry. The people who are the bellhops, and the people who are uh, you know working for the sanitation services, or things of that nature. Think about how they're treated by people who are upper class, and by us sometimes. Think about how how that works. How this this thought from these myths has worked itself into uh, what we believe about creation. Think about how that uh, how we communicate to people who have what we see as lesser jobs sometimes and how we we don't communicate that they have any worth or dignity or value but this is to miss the whole point see God's intention that we see here is that he creates all things and his intention is that man would work the ground his intention is that man would be the one who's gonna work the ground look at verse 7 then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, look at what this is saying. It's saying that God is the one who gets down and he creates. Think about the God that, we're, that, that we serve, the God who is creator. He's not just saying, let there be light. Or let there be animals, let them come up out of the ground. No, God intricately and intimately involves himself with your creation. He involves himself with you. And more than that, in the creation of you and in the creation of me, in the creation of humanity, God gets his hands dirty. God works in the ground. He's taking clay and he's shaping you and I. He's shaping who we are. And so many commentators, as they're talking about this, talk about how God is intimately involved in his creation. And he is intimately involved with his creation, the creation of humanity, of man. He's intimately involved in that through his work. He's working. He's getting his hands dirty. Think about these other creation myths, the things that they communicated, that worth is beneath them. Work must be beneath this God, but this God has already worked, and so, and, and, and he's worked so much that he comes to a point where he says, I'm going to stop my work. I'm going to rest. This is the God that we serve. And then so intimately involved is he in who you are as a person that when he brings life into humanity, he... Bends down and he breathes life into the nostrils, which is kind of a gross picture, but uh, it's intimately involved in Bringing life to you and I What this is saying is this is that you are not an accident God's creation of you does not say that like, oh, you're just here to do God's bidding and that's all that you are. You're just here to do the work of the gods or something like that. No, God is deeply embedded in the idea of who you are and he cares for you so much that he is willing to get down on his knees and work and create and craft. He's a creative God. He's an artist and he's creating you. Psalm 139 talks talks about how we've been knit together in our mother's womb and how he knows every detail of who we are. Do you understand that that God is the one who has created you and he has breathed life into your body through his intimate touch? This is the one that we serve. Look at a secular viewpoint. You are the product of nothing important of no God who ever had any intention. Do you know what that communicates about your value, about your dignity? It says this, it says it doesn't matter if you die. It doesn't matter if you go away. It doesn't matter if you're here today or gone tomorrow or anything like that. It doesn't matter. But this communicates that you infinitely matter to your creator and his creation of you is so important that it will will designate who you are to be and how you are to act. So this is the God that we're talking about. Look at verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God is working, he's creatively crafting uh, this sculpture, he breathes life into this man. He puts this man into this garden. It's not just a garden. It's not that God just snapped his fingers, but it is implying this, that God got down on his hands and knees, and he was, he was, he was digging out the dirt, and he was putting in some seeds, and he was digging out the dirt, and he's pu- pu- putting in some seeds, and he was tilling the soil. He was tilling the soil, and he was involved in, in the creation of this garden. Do you know what this communicates? God is the one who feeds humanity. Humanity does not feed God. Think about the cults and things of that day, these myths. They were to bring food and offerings to appease the gods, to feed the gods, and things like that. Do you see what God is saying here through his word? He's saying this, you don't feed me, I feed you. I am the one, I am the provider, I'm the originator, I'm the one who has created this work, and I am the one who has started it. I am the one who began this work. I am the one who is doing this. And so what's he doing? He is planting a garden. We don't feed God, he feeds us. He's the one who's given us the raw materials. He's the one who gives us the rain. He's the one who's given us the tools. He's the one who's given us the giftings. Now, planting a garden is just one aspect of this. Planting a garden is the most rudimentary of all things that we could do. Here we have gardeners. We have farmers who are raising crops and things like that. But this is just one aspect of humanity. This this is just one part of what humanity does. Humanity does all kinds of things, from the street cleaner outside to Wall Street. You have people that are all over the place, and they are actually doing God's work. God is the one who started this work. God is the one who has given us the tools to be able to do so. And look at this. It's even uh, more incredible than this. That when God creates man, what he says, as I said in verse 31, is that, I need to get back to it. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. See, God is creating all of these things. He's creating these things. He's creating humanity. And what he exclaims is he says, it's very good. See, God's intent here is not that everything just serves him. God is a self-giving God who creates things for other people. He creates things for other people to do. He creates food for them. He feeds them. He's a self-giving God. He's not the selfish God of the myths of that day. He is this God who serves these people. He is Yahweh Elohim. He is the Lord God who looks out for his creation and provides for them. Think about the difference here. How do you view God? How do you see him? Is, is, is he a taskmaster that is over you? Saying, if you don't serve me, if you don't do what's right, I'm going to screw everything up for you. Perhaps you came in here today and things are not going well for you. And part of the reason why you're here, if you're really honest, and you talked about why you're here today, is because of this. I'm here to appease the God. I'm here to appease that God. If I just come and I sacrifice and I give to him, I give to him of my food, maybe I'll throw some money in the, in, in the offering box or, or maybe I'll worship him a little bit. Maybe he'll give back to me. But the thing that you don't see and the thing that you don't understand and the thing that you, you, you don't really know is this. You don't know God, you don't know this God. You don't know the God who is self-giving, who gives of himself, who gets down on his knees and creates humanity, who gets down on his knees and plants a garden for humanity. And it says this in verse nine, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree, That is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not going to get to that. That's in chapter 3. We'll come back to this a little bit later about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But this is this God. He's providing for us things that are pleasant to look at and great to eat. Do we worship God when we're eating the fruit of his trees? You know, like eating an orange is an act of worship. It can be an act of worship that says, this is the good God that created this stuff. He provided this. We don't feed God. God feeds us. He created the processes. He created the seasons. He created the seeds. This is the God that we serve. How do you know this God? You read his word and you see who he is. And then it says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, let me just say this. Paradise is not a workless environment but an environment of divinely initiated labor. God does all all of this work. He's working himself. He's planting, he's creating, he's doing all of these things. And why is he doing that? He's doing that to create this world in which he will put man, and the intention that he has for man is that man will be there as a caretaker. Not just as a conservationist, not as a park ranger necessarily, but as somebody who would utilize what God has given. Yes, we are to care for creation, but we are also to be able to use creation. Creation doesn't exist on its own. Creation exists for our use and our care. And think about the themes that you could take from that. That there's extreme environmentalism, but then there's also the corporations that dump in, in incredible amounts of pollution into the world or have in years past and things of that nature. Can't you see here that one of these denies that this world was created for us, that God put us in this world to take care of it and to benefit from it. And one of them denies that we should be, have any care at all for what God has created here, and that we should just destroy it. Well, it's all just going to burn up anyway. This is not environmentalism. This is creation care. This is what God has put into us. He has put into us to care about our creation. What does that mean politically in our world today? Well, it could mean a number of different things. I keep trying to communicate this to you guys, and that is that God has not created Republicans or Democrats. Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat. We are believers in Jesus Christ, and as such, we give glory to God. He is our king. Now, this world, how we go about it, there's a number of different ways that we could do that, but we need to be clear that we're not here to support any one political agenda. We're uh, We're here to promote this God of the universe who's created all things. God's intention was that we would be here to work it and keep it. And so our idea of paradise, of absolute rest and relaxation is kind of put under a microscope here because of this. God works six days and he rests for one. He works six days, and he rests for one day. What does that mean? That paradise is not a place of just absolute rest, but paradise is a place of meaningful work along with a rest that is given to God and says that you are creator and you are redeemer, that this is what paradise is. See this, the second thing I have for you is this. Work is not the result of the curse. Our work doesn't come to us because of the curse. Genesis Genesis chapter 3 talks about the fall. If you're unfamiliar with this, that's okay. We'd love to tell you about that. It's a horrible story. Uh, You'll enjoy it. Uh, But the fall really talks about where did sin come from. And then at the end of the sin and God judging Adam and Eve, he puts a curse on them. And he doesn't say, okay, now you're going to have to work for the rest of your life because uh, because you guys all screwed up. When I was a kid, uh, I went to this camp one time and I, I, I went to the, I think I've told this story maybe once before I went to this camp, and there was this girl that I liked and so and then I had two buddies with me, and they liked two other girls and so I have no idea why they did this, but they let me and my two buddies, who were the worst kids at church camp uh, and I was the pastor's kid, mind you uh, uh but we went over to their tent. We had no leader with us for some crazy reason. Uh, we do things differently here at Outward, but uh, we went, went over, got these three girls, brought them back, completely innocent, I swear. Um, and uh, we're just sitting there hanging out in my, in my tent, and uh, our tent, and we're listening to some music, and somehow all six of us fell asleep. And the biggest, ugliest youth leader, uh, who has a sister... In this church right here and right now, he, he, oh, he's not ugly. I like him. He's an attractive man. But um, he, 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 I hear the tent unzip, and I look up, and I see Doug. And then I look around, and I go, oh, crap. Do you know how bad it is to fall asleep with a girl when you're a kid at church camp? Like, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, if you don't know, now you know. Uh, But what he said was, y'all are working for me for the rest of the day. You screwed up, you're working for me. And I chopped wood and all this stuff, and I was like, hey, I like chopping wood. Thanks for giving me something to do. Uh, (laughs) I love the guy, he was here a while ago. I hadn't seen him in, man, it might have been 20 years. He was here several weeks ago, but that's not what God's doing. You screwed it all up. Now you gotta work. Work this off. We'll see if you, if you get into the afterlife, work a little harder, we'll see, we'll see how things go. Maybe you get in, maybe you don't, that kind of thing. See, work is not the curse. Work is the blessing. Did you know that? Work is a blessing. Do you know how illuminating that is to me? I love to work, maybe a little too much. But I love to work. When I'm working, like working physically, I I love to clean my yard, I love to mow grass. I love to mow grass. I would buy property just to mow grass. Like I love mowing grass. I have no idea why. It is like absolutely soothing. It doesn't talk back to me, doesn't yell and scream, things like that. I have no idea why. It could be because I have children in the house. And then I can always be like, yeah, honey, I'll be outside mowing the grass. Sorry about the kids, but um, <laughs> like, give me more time out there. No, I'm actually a very involved father when I wanna be, but um, uh, I, I love to work. I mean, do you love to work? Do you like it? Do you enjoy working? I love working. I love to work. Do you know that that is part of God's design of you? That God's design of you is that he puts you in the garden. He puts you in the garden in order for you to be able to work, in order for you to be able to produce and provide and to feed yourself, and then to take a day of rest and contemplate this incredible God who puts you in this garden, which is our world today. And he's given you the raw materials and the gifts and all of this stuff. And more than that, he's the creator. And he is the one who is your redeemer. Do you see how out of balance we are? See, some of us think that work is a curse. And we think that the blessing is the rest. And so we would like it if we are working one day a week... And we were resting for six days out of the week, and we think that that's the pinnacle—like win the lottery and you'll be resting eternally. Do you know that that's a curse? That that's not a blessing. That's actually a curse. That's actually—do you know that when God gives you work to do, that that can be? a blessing in your life that God is molding you, he's shaping you, he's allowing you to become somebody new. You don't find out who you are until you become somebody who's working and creating and providing and things like this. Do you see who this God is, who has done this for you? Like I could go on and on and on about this. It's such an amazing thing. See, here's the thing, is that work is a blessed activity. If you were to look at chapter one, verse 28, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and on and on it goes. God's blessing is a delegation of a role. His, His blessing has come to you in work. Think about this. You probably know people who haven't been able to work and they feel like they're cursed. They feel like I'm cursed because I can't do anything with my time. Think about what Goodwill Industries does, how they uh, invite people, uh, invite persons with disabilities in. They give them some type of job training so that they have something to do. Why? Because work is a blessing, and rest is a blessing. You see, from the verse, verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, and he's blessed it in this way. He says, the best thing that you can do is create spiritual space in the midst of my blessing of work so that you can honor and glorify me. Work is a good gift from God to be stewarded, not worshiped or loathed. Rest is a good gift from God to be stewarded, not worshiped or loathed. You can overwork or you can underwork. You can deal with laziness or you can deal with workaholism. Both of those are inconsistent with the way that you were created. Rest or Sabbath is an opportunity to worship the Creator, Redeemer, as we've said. And then the last thing we gotta ask is, why did God create work? Why did he do that? What's, well, here's something for you to do. I guess, you know, you can yeah, plant that garden over there and, you know, feed, figure out how to feed yourself and stay out of my hair kind of a deal. See, this, this answers like a fundamental question of, of what, what's the meaning of my work? Does my work have meaning? Why did God create work? Why, did, why, why is this so antithetical? to what our world says. That work is, to, is in some ways to be, to be loathed. Why does this seem so different? It comes down to this. It is the nature of God. It is the character of God. It is who God is. God isn't a workaholic. God is a worker. And when he created you in his image, and when he fashioned humanity out of clay, and when he planted that garden, what's he showing you? He's showing you that I am the creator, and I have created you in my image. I am the one who where all work originates from, and so what I'm delegating to you, what I'm designating to you is work. And you get meaning and purpose and dignity and value out of properly imaging this God. Who who is this God? He's the self-giving God. He is the one who gives of Himself. He plants the garden. He forms the man. He He makes up to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight for food. It is this God... He's the one who says, but you should also have rest. It's that God. It's the self-giving God. He's the one who provides for us. And what's to say about our work? It says this, that when we work for money or position or power or self-aggrandizement or for any other reason, when, when, we, when we go to work, to serve ourselves out of what we can get out of it. That's a misuse. It's almost a blasphemy against the creator God who has created you. See, men and women, you could be going to work every day for a paycheck and a job that you hate, and the reason why you're going to that job is just so that you can make enough money. But here's the thing, you are not imaging the creator properly in and through that because your work is not out of self-giving, out of the image of the self-giving God. Your work is not for others, it's for you, it's for self. And then when you connect this to Jesus, it gets really good. John 5.36, it's in the middle of a dialogue, but it says this, John 5.36, says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, this is Jesus speaking, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Do you see what Jesus just said? You probably don't. Jesus just said, The things that I'm doing, the work that I'm doing. Now, what's the work that Jesus is doing? He's healing the sick. He's comforting those who need comfort. He's going after the people that are taking advantage of other people. But then ultimately, his greatest work is ultimately going to the cross and being crucified. And, what's in, and Jesus says, he puts all of his work in context. He says, he says, God, I, as part of God, God has given me this work, and this work is, is the work that I'm supposed to do, and it speaks about who the creator God is, who I am. Jesus says, what I am doing shows you who this God is, and what is Jesus doing? He's a self-giving God. He's a self-giving God who gives up everything. What what does He give up? He gives up His very life. He gives up His freedom. He gives up His friends. He gives up being in glory. He he gives up all of the comforts of home. He gives up paradise, if you will, to come and work on your behalf and on my behalf. He does that to show you this. This is the God who's calling to you and who's saying, why? Why? Do you continue to worship your work as though it is God? Why do you continue to worship your rest as though it is God? Why would you serve anything else other than the true and living God? Who is the self-giving God who feeds you, who saves you, who redeems you? This is who this is. So now, do you want to understand what it looks like to walk in the image Of this God to to be created new? Well, it looks like this. It comes down to this this rest that Jesus takes. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that He sits down at the right hand of the Father when He finishes His work. And the invitation is in there, in this. Have you rested from your work? Have you rested from your work? And by that, it's saying this. There's so many of us that think that our salvation, that our well-being is dependent upon us and what we do. And we're working, and we're working, and we're working, and we're working, and we think that we have this horrible, slave-driving taskmaster who is over us and who's given us all of this cruddy work, and he's, and he's, and he's saying to us, if you just work a little bit harder, but that's to not even know him. Do you wanna know, do you wanna understand how to know him? You have to look at Jesus and the work that he came to to do. The work that he came to do was to sacrifice himself, to bleed out, to, to give everything, to leave it all on the floor, to give everything for you so that you could be with him. So the question is, have you entered his rest? Because if you're striving and you're striving and you're striving, you're using work as a means of self-gratification. You're using your work as, as a means to take advantage of other people or to make more money. Or what have you, you're, you're striving and you're striving. And that's not faith in Jesus, that's faith in self. That's saying, I know what's best for me Are you you striving or have you entered the rest of God? Entered into his Sabbath from the work for your salvation. What this means is this, is that when you have entered his rest, it means you can work for the joy of working. You don't have to work to serve this taskmaster God that's telling you you've got got to make it in this world. You've got to climb that ladder. you got to, Make more money. do make somebody happy. No, you get to work for the joy of working. To honor the creator. To honor your redeemer. You get to work and serve other people and to be the light of Jesus Christ in our world. You get to work just for the pleasure of working. Knowing that you are imaging your creator. Because you've put faith in And the one who's done the work for you, Jesus Christ. Have you not just acknowledged his existence, but actually put your trust in him? said, I'm tired of striving, and I'm tired of trying to be something, and I'm I'm tired of trying to make something of myself, and I just want you to make something of me, because I know you already have. Make me into your image, and he will answer that prayer. Let's pray together. Oh Jesus, there's many of us here in this room that have that have misused our work, or misused our rest. We thought it was all about us, but really it's all about you and glorifying you, Lord, I pray that you'd help us see that, that when we look to you as, as the image that we want to be like, that Lord, we'd see the true meaning of life, the true meaning of our work. Now, Lord, that we would understand what it is that you want from us. Lord, I pray for those that have never put their trust in you or think that they have. Lord, I pray that today is the day, Lord, that they would walk with you today, put trust in you. Lord, that they'd tell somebody this morning. I pray that they'd stop messing around with this idea of religion and all of this stuff. And Lord, that they would just trust you today as their Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.